Well, I have a confession to make that I know will upset many of you, and I'm actually glad that it's going to upset some of you. Next Sunday at 5 p.m., I will not be cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I will be, oh, there we go. We got some people. We got some more people. I will be pulling for the 49ers, and uh, funny enough, I'm not even a 49ers fan, uh, but I am a fan of their quarterback, Brock Purdy. And how can you not be a fan of Brock Purdy? His story, I remember watching Brock play when he was a quarterback for Iowa State. Oh, you would play them every year. And he was a scrappy player. And I've always appreciated that about him. Uh, the other thing I appreciate about him is that he was, a couple of years ago, the very last pick in the NFL draft. And that has earned him the name Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, nobody thought he would amount to anything but last season. Uh, because of injury, he was... Uh, put in the position of the quarterback in the middle of a game, and he rose to the occasion. And he's done nothing but excel since then. Uh, a lot of naysayers who speak out against him, uh, but he is a stellar quarterback and a stellar individual. Uh, one of the main reasons that I like Brock Purdy is he is a very outspoken Christian. Uh, his faith is on display. His faith is in his conversations. Uh, like... Um, like the quarterback, C.J. Stroud, for the Texans. Uh, they're both very outspoken, uh, wanting to give glory to God, recognition to Jesus Christ for the change that he's made in their life. And I'm not a guy who likes to platform celebrities. You know that about me. I don't like to talk about, oh, this celebrity's a Christian and that celebrity's a Christian, the, the Hollywood types, the sports types. Uh, for example, I recently saw an interview uh, with the actor Shia LaBeouf and uh, in the interview, he was making a profession of his faith in Jesus and the fact that he now understands for the first time grace. And I was excited about his testimony, but I was also uh, waiting and, and thinking time will, time will tell as he continues on. Uh, some of you will remember a couple of years ago, some of you won't even know who this person is, uh, but a couple of years ago, uh, the rapper Kanye West dropped an album that was going to be the album of all albums because it was an expression of his faith in Jesus. And uh, pastors and bloggers in the Christian world were all excited about this. There's a, there's a big change that's happened in Kanye. But if you, you follow his life, uh, there's nothing about his life that demonstrates a, a desire to follow Jesus in faithfulness. In John's day, there were many teachers celebrities even, who claim to know Christ, to be a teacher of Christ, to be an apostle of Christ. But as we noted in our Corinth study, many of these false teachers uh, were doing great harm to the churches. They, they were doing great harm to the Christians who made up those churches. And so how was a person to know if a so-called teacher was legitimate? How were they to know if a person's faith in Jesus that they, they professed was actually genuine and true? How were they to know? How can we know about a Brock Purdy? How can we know about a Kanye West? How can you know about the genuineness of my faith? And how can you know about the genuineness of your own faith? Well, in today's text, John provides us with two means of evaluating or examining our faith. And our cues uh, that we find these two purposes are this phrase that we see one time in verse 3, and then at the end of verse 5, by this we know. By this we know. Now my intention today is not to foster doubt in you, rather confidence. Uh, we are instructed in Scripture, uh, particularly we see this in, in 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves to see 
whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Let's pray. Father, we ask your gracious blessing now on your word. Spirit, use it to inspire confidence. Use it to convict whatever you desire to accomplish. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's consider this first evaluation. Those who know Jesus keep his commandments, verses 3 through 5. One thing you often see and hear around Meadowview Baptist is our, our purpose or our passion. We exist to know Christ and to make him known. But what does it mean to know Christ? When we talk about that language, what are we talking about? Well, first of all, that language is covenantal language. To, to know Christ. We, we see this from the pages of the Old Testament. Jeremiah 9, 23 reads this. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth for in these things i delight declares the lord jeremiah goes on to write in many other places of that covenantal language of knowing and being in relationship to know christ is to be in covenant with him or in the new testament we we simplify it to be in christ this is paul's language to be in christ united with jesus in death and in life second to know Christ is relational language. In the Old Testament, to communicate the intimate relationship between a man and a woman, the authors used the word know. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Genesis 4.1 Please understand, it's not just a word that's meant to convey uh, sexual relations, but rather a holistic, intimate relationship with another person. To know Jesus is to have this kind of intimate relationship with him. This is why in the New Testament uh, we understand, and even in the Old Testament, that marriage between a man and a woman is a picture of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride. Therefore, knowing Jesus is not intellectual knowledge. I would say it's not just intellectual knowledge. It's relational experience. It's intimacy. It, it expounds on this concept that, that John has already introduced us to in chapter 1, the fellowship that we have, this, this partnership and shared life. I know about Brock Purdy. I've watched him interviewed. I've read things that he has written. But I do not know Brock Purdy. I know my wife, and I know my kids, and I know my extended family and my close friends, and I know many of you. These relationships are not intellectual. They're not, not mechanical. They're organic. They're, they're life-giving, or probably better stated, they're life-sharing. There's a mutual sharing of this life together. And herein lies the danger us as Christians. 
Do we know about Jesus or do we know Jesus? Do we know about him or do we know him? Uh, earlier in the week, uh, we were on a little road trip, me, Faith, and Alethea. And uh, I was, as I often do, like thinking through older music, stuff I haven't listened to in a long time. And some of the late 90s Christian music popped in my head. And I, I pulled up Avalon as one of those groups. And I was like, I'm just going to listen to some Avalon. And there was a song that came on that I had completely forgotten about. And I remember it being a song that was impactful for me when it was released. And, and it was impactful for me again as we were driving the other day. And I want to read the lyrics to you. And maybe it will be impactful for you. But it says, uh, I grew up in Sunday school. I memorized the golden rule. And how Jesus came to set the sinner free. And I know the story inside out. I can tell you all about the path that led him up to Calvary. But ask me why he loves me. And I don't know what to say. But I'll never be the same because he changed my life. When he became everything to me. More than a story, more than words on a page of history. He's the air that I breathe, the water I thirst for, the ground beneath my feet. He's everything, everything to me. I think of those lyrics and I think of the woman at the well. Have we tasted of the living water that is Christ? Have we planted our feet on the solid rock that is Jesus other than the sinking sand around us? Have you found him to be your Savior? It's not just knowing about him, it's knowing him. And this leads to, to the first actual evaluation. The, the, the person who truly knows Christ, John says, will keep his commandments. In John 14, 15, we read these words from Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I used to say that to my kids when they'd say, Dad, I love you. I'd say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. <laughs> and I, I would say that with a little bit of levity. Uh, but we recognize there is significant truth in what Jesus is saying here. If we truly love him, keeping his commandments is the natural outflow of that love. Danny Aiken writes it this way. He says, because I know him in all of his beauty and glory and majesty. Let me read that again. Because I know him in all of his beauty, his glory, his majesty. I delight in obeying him. To obey Christ is not a burden. It's a blessing. It's my natural response to what he has done for me. You see, when we truly love somebody, Love, love meaning we, in our desires and actions, are putting the interest of this person above our own. When we truly love someone, this, this agape love, we want to please them. We want them to, to be encouraged and proud of us. We want to honor them. That's what true love does. John is not teaching here that obedience to the commandments is a condition for knowing God. Rather, it is the result of knowing God. It's not conditional. It's the response that we have. How lovely is He? How good and kind is He? How merciful and gracious is He? 
When we think of Jesus who didn't think equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself so that he might put on flesh and dwell among us and live a life of poverty and rejection and die a death so humiliating as the cross. How do we respond to such knowledge? Consider all that he's done for us. Do you love him for who he is? Do you love him for what he's done for you? That love then compels us to keep his commandments, not to earn love, not to, not to somehow deserve this, but as a result of the undeserved, unmerited favor that he showed you. But what are his commandments then? When we talk about the commandments that we're to keep, but by the way, the word keep here in keeping commandments is to, is to hold tightly to something. It's something that, uh, that is important. It's something that is significant, and you don't want to let go of it. I want to I keep this. I want to honor this. I want to cherish this. That's the idea. So what comes to mind when you think of his commandments? Well, I think for many of us, we initially think of probably the Ten Commandments. That initial list that we find in Exodus 20, that we should have no other gods before him. We should not bow down to the idols. We should honor our parents. No murder, no coveting. Jesus summarizes those in Mark 12 into these two things. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment, Jesus says, that is greater than these. Or maybe we go to the Sermon on the Mount, and we consider the instruction that Jesus gives. We consider the instruction of how we're to deal with prayer, and how we're to deal with fasting, and how we're to deal with money, and how we're to deal with worry. And then there's the instruction that we find in the epistles. Uh, our, our fighter verse for last week and this week, which we already read, I'm going to read it one more time because it's filled with commandment. It's filled with instruction for us. Ways in which we're to obey. First Thessalonians 5.14 And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. These are just some of the commandments. And, and this again reveals to us, as we talked about last week, the importance of being in this book, being a person of the Word, because first of all, if we want to know God, this is where we get to know Him. This is where He has revealed Himself to us. And if we want to know His commandments, we have to be in the Word. Otherwise, we're shaping our own morality. We're creating our own system of commandments. And let me tell you, you're bent and broken just like I am, and we're not going to get it right on our own. We need to go to God's Word to realign with what is true and what is right. 
And so those who truly know Christ obey His commandments. Now notice verse 4. Here John comes back to this phrase that he's already used a couple of times. If, if someone says he's ready for the rebuttal, he's ready for the excuse, uh, the reason that someone would give. And so here he says, if someone says, I know him, but that person does not keep his commandments, John says he is a liar. The truth is not in him. This is kind of a scary verse. It should be for all of us. Are, are you a liar? Am I a liar? Because the reality is I do not keep his commandments. And I do claim to know him. And if you're honest, you would say the same. Yeah, I'm here today because I know Christ. But I did not keep his commandments even this morning. As we pointed out in a previous section... It may seem like John is demanding perfectionism. It certainly comes across that way, but, but that's not his intention. These verbs that he's using here are packed with the concept of habitual behavior. Patterned behavior. If, if there is a pattern of disregard of his commandments in your life, that's the idea. When we fail to keep his commandments... We understand we have an advocate who has made atonement for us. Praise the Lord for Jesus. But when we habitually fail, and I might add in with an indifference towards those commandments and the Lord himself, we should question the genuineness of our faith. We should examine. John goes on to add a promise in verse 5, and this is brilliant because it sets up our next text, 7 through 11, which we'll consider next week. But he, the, the, the promise is made to the one who keeps Christ's commandments. And so, so what is the promise? Here's the promise. That the love of God is perfected in him. The one who knows and the one who keeps commandments, the love of God is perfected in him. What does that mean, though? When we talk about the love of God being perfected in him, is that, is that God's love for us? Is that our love for God? Is that just some this the, the general idea of love that is grown and perfected? Well, I would lean more towards the view that John is referencing our love for God being perfected. When we live in obedience to Jesus' commandments, our love for God is perfected in us. Let me say it this way. As I come to understand and know his love for me, I am compelled to love him in return. And according to Jesus, the perfection of that love is that I love him with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength. And that love I have for him then outflows in the love that I have for my neighbors and others. This is the perfection of love. This is why Jesus would say, here is the greatest commandment. Here's how we summarize all of this. It's the fulfillment of this. And so, if you would, just humor me and take a peek down at verse 7. This will be where we're looking at next week. I just want you to see where John is going because he focuses in, in verses 7 through 11, 
on the perfection of this love. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard, and at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother, this is the old commandment, love your brother, love one another, abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The perfection of love is our love for others. Because we're loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But there is one more evaluation. Those who abide in Jesus walk as Jesus walked. Verse 6. To abide in Jesus means that we remain in Jesus. To continue with Jesus. In the same way that a branch would abide in a vine. Judson, we pull that picture up that's there coming up. In the same way that a branch will abide in the vine. You see the vine, but the branches are intimately connected to the vine. That branch is at every moment dependent upon that vine. The moment that branch is pruned away from the vine, so is its life. And so is its purpose. Here's how Jesus puts it in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Notice what He says here, abide in me, and I in you. Same word, same language. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. You see, the second point of evaluation is that if we are truly abiding in Jesus, our lives will imitate him. Our lives will be patterned after him. In a roundabout way, this is really saying the same thing as obeying his commandments. Because Jesus' life is the fulfillment of his commandments. If we obey his commandments, we will be walking as Jesus walked. But the second evaluation does allow us a broader, more colorful examination, doesn't it? Because we can go to the Gospels, we can go to the Scriptures, and we can ask questions like, how, how did Jesus live as a human? How did He interact with other people? What was His attitude towards this thing or that thing? Consider His patience. Consider His willingness to, to serve others. Consider His willingness to sacrifice and, and give of Himself for others. Consider Jesus' courage to stand for what is true stand for what is right. We're to pattern our lives after Jesus' life. This is what it means to be His disciple. We're, we're followers of Him, imitators of Him. And this is only possible as we abide in Him. 
It's only possible as we are connected. If I am abiding in Christ as a branch in the vine, then the life of that vine flows through me. The life of Jesus flows through me. And as a result, so will His love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and faithfulness kindness and self-control and humility will be on display in my life and so are you abiding in Jesus today Has your life been grafted into the beautiful, life-giving vine that is Christ? This happens when we humble ourselves and put our trust in Jesus rather than our own acts of goodness. This happens when we come to understand that our lives are pointless and, and, and lifeless and selfless without Jesus. It happens when we come to realize that there is no life apart from Him. If you're here today and you do not know Him, I, I, I would encourage you to pray this prayer. God, reveal more of Yourself to me. I want to truly know You. And if you're here today and you have those questions, I want to invite you in just a moment to, to the prayer room that's right over here where somebody can open up God's Word and, and show you more of Him and answer those questions so that you might leave here today saying, I know Him. Not just intellectually. It's not just something I can sing about. But He's someone I know. But the question of the text is really this. Is your expressed faith genuine? You say you know Jesus. You say you are abiding in Jesus. And so do you pass the evaluations that John provides for us? If so, rejoice. Rejoice in Him. If so, rejoice in the goodness that He's shown your life. Rejoice that you're abiding in Christ. We, we must not take the gift of abiding in Jesus for granted. We need to be thankful for that every day. If you are here and you're questioning the genuineness of your faith because you do see a pattern of, of habitual disregard for Jesus' commands, let me ask you, I want to ask you a few more questions. When the light of God's Word is shined into your life, and that may be your own reading, that may be the admonition of somebody else Maybe something you hear from a pulpit or a friend. When, when, when the light of God's word has shined into your life, when you're, you're presented with the holy commandments, the true instruction of Jesus, do you rebel against that with arrogance? Are you stiff-necked? Well, I don't, I don't have to do that. That doesn't apply to me. Do you recoil into the darkness? You ignore it? You may put on a mask of hypocrisy to avoid it being exposed. 
Or do you feel godly sorrow? Godly sorrow that leads you to repentance. If you align more with the first two options, today I implore you to pray that the Lord would humble you and that the Lord would shine brightly His brilliant light and that you would be softened to the hardness that you're experiencing or the hypocrisy that you're living. If you are experiencing godly sorrow today that is leading you to repentance, that is a sign of the Spirit's work in your life. That the life of Jesus is flowing in you. It's true that your sin has disrupted your fellowship and hindered to some degree that life-giving flow, but you can turn to your advocate today. You can turn to Christ today and realize atonement has been made. There is not only freedom, there is not only forgiveness, but there is power. Power to grow. Finally, let's, let's talk about our sin. Let's talk about our, our disregard for the commandments of the Lord. Let's talk about the times that we look nothing like Jesus. Where are you disregarding His commands today? What instruction do you see in God's Word that you have treated or are treating in this moment with indifference? Last week, John opened by saying that he's writing these things so that we might avoid sin. John wants us to avoid sin. We should want to avoid sin. We should desire to keep the commandments of our Lord Jesus. When we do sin and we fail to keep His commandments, it's because in that moment, we don't know Him well enough. We don't know His commandments well enough. Our relationship is strained and we're not abiding deeply enough in Jesus. This is what John reveals in this text. This is an area and an approach. And so, so how, how do we avoid breaking His commandments? I want to give you four things to think about today. But I, but I want you, as we even enter into these four things, I, I want you to have in your mind those commandments that you may be presently breaking now. Those commandments that you struggle with with consistency. How do, we, how do we avoid these things? First of all, I'll say this. We have to know Him. If you know me, you will love me. If you know me, you will keep my commandments. How do we get to know Him? We go to the Word. We pray. He's talking to us. We're talking to Him. How do we get to know Him? We surround ourselves with His body, with His people, and the encouragement that's provided by others in fellowship. We, we know Him. Let me give you the example that I, I often use in this particular area. Um, 
if we truly believe, if we truly know that God is good. And I think all of us would say, yes, amen, He is good. But if we, we truly know that in our heart, and we truly know that, that He is also a God who is omnipotent, and He is sovereign, He's in control, and I know those two things about my God, if I truly know them, what would I ever have to worry about? Why would worry ever play a part in my life? What would I ever have to complain about if I know God is good and He is in control? Everything He does is from His goodness and according to His plan. But because my knowledge is often lacking in those moments when somebody cuts me off in traffic or somebody doesn't follow through with what they said they were going to do, in that moment I'm prone to worry or I'm prone to complain because I'm forgetting who my God is. We have to know Him. Secondly, we have to know His commandments. How do I know His commandments? I go to the Word. I need to be reminded, here's what He says. I, I surround myself with godly people who will be people who will admonish me and remind me of His commandments as well. The importance of His body. I need to know Him. I need to know His commandments. Three, I need to know myself. I need to know myself. You need to know yourself. What commandments are you struggling with? Your struggles will not be quite the same as my struggles. Our lives are different. We're made up different. So I need to meditate and I need to memorize in a particular area. When or what situations do you find yourself in where you tend to forget Jesus? You need to prepare yourself for those things so that you might be obedient to His commandments. Know yourself. Know your tendencies. Know your circumstances. I've shared this before. Well, I might have shared this before. But many, many years ago when my kids were young and uh, toddlers... Cademan was a baby. I would go home and I would be angry. I didn't go home angry. Well, sometimes I guess I went home angry. But it was the entrance into the home that would make me angry because I'm a person who likes things in their place. And if you have three little kids, things are not going to be in their place. And so I would come home and Faith had been working with these kids all day and cleaning and trying to cook and she's finishing up dinner. And I would come in and I would be upset because now I've got to do dishes or now I've got to pick up these toys or now I've got to do this stuff. And it became a habitual pattern that I fell into. I was just an angry person. I didn't yell or scream or slam things. Well, sometimes I angry clean. You guys know what that is, right? Angry cleaning. <laughs> My mama taught me how to angry clean well. But I would just be quiet. And I would just stew and and let Faith know the kids didn't care. They were oblivious. But I would let her know I was not pleased in having to come home and do all of these things. I was disregarding His commandments. I was disregarding who God is. I didn't know Him. What did I have to do? I had to focus particular attention every day on my drive home, sometimes when I got to the driveway, to stop and to pray. 
I remember a statement that I found in a Steve Farrar book for men where he said, men, if you want to lead in your home, you have to be a leader in every area, and that means you're the first and the best servant in the home. And I would think through that. I need to go in here, and I need to serve, and I need to love, and I need to do it with joy and a good attitude. That was the particulars of my situation, and I needed to apply God's truth directly to it. I needed to know those things. As I've been thinking through this text, where do I tend to disregard his commandments? I eat a lot of food. I'm, I'm a glutton a lot of the time. And one of the things that I need to do is I need to give specific attention to those particular commands. You may not need to do that. You may have another thing, but, but I, I have written out here, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, Proverbs 23. I need to be reminded of that commandment. I need to know that so that I might avoid the sin. I discipline my body, Paul says, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That one hits between the eyes. What do you need to do? What are the areas you need to focus on so that you might know him and know his commandments? Know him, know his commandments, know yourself, and then fourth. I would say this, live in the light. John says you've got to invite other people in. You've got to be open and you've got to be honest about the struggles and the things that are going on in your life. Walk in the light. Walk in the truth. In the truth. I'm going to ask you to bow with me this morning. I know these are a lot of things for us to consider you may be the person who's here and you do not know God. You have questions. You, you want that relationship. And I want to invite you to, to ask those questions right here in our prayer room or catch somebody, catch me or, or somebody else before you leave today so that we can have those conversations, set up a time to talk through those things. But John's primary directive his primary audience as he's writing this is to those of us who sit in the pews with regularity, who with our words and our songs and our worship profess a faith in Jesus, yet our life does not match. And he says, evaluate. Evaluate. Friends, you have an advocate in Jesus. Today, you may need to make confession. Today, you may need to make some sort of plan and you may need to invite people in to your plan so that you can know Him, know His commandments, and therefore avoid sin as John encourages us.